You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Tell me when to hit record and I'm good. Oh, are we doing a podcast? Jesus Christ. Hit record. All right. All right. Welcome to episode 34 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, September 17th, 2015. Today on the show, we've got the esteemed Mikey Campbell. Hi, Mikey. Hello. And also joining us is managing editor Neil Hughes. How's it going? I want to dive right in. iOS 9, formerly known as iPhone OS, is out. It's released. We've got it. And I've put it on my my iPhone, my primary device. Neil, what devices have you put iOS 9 on? So I've been running iOS 9 betas on my iPhone and my iPad for some time now. So it's old hat for me. Why do you hate life? <laughs> uh, you know, I really haven't had a lot of problems with iOS 9 other than the uh, kind of janky keyboard and a few little things here and there. Uh, a lot of them seem relatively uh, polished in the final release, I'm happy to say, because even the GM had some issues with the keyboard that I'm not really experiencing as much now. But there's still some... A lot of the glitches I've been experiencing, and it's probably because I spend most of the time in the app, is in the Messages app. Like, there's one that I have, I don't know if you guys have seen this, where if I open a message to somebody and try to send a picture very quickly, like press the photos button, press a photo, hit send, it just locks up and doesn't send the photo and I have to either wait or force close the app and then go to send it again. And that's an annoying bug that's still oh, in okay, there for me. Okay, but I, I come not to bury iOS 9, I come to praise iOS 9. Yeah. So, so you've put it on your phone. Mikey, have you been running iOS 9? Yes, I also have been running the betas, but I just installed the, uh, uh, the public release on my 6 and I still have the beta running on my iPad. Okay, so you, you're using it on your primary phone, right? How's yeah. that working out for you? What, what's, what do you like about it most? Well, really, I mean, it's not really that much of a change for me because I don't use a lot of the new functions and enhancements that they brought, you know, like Notes and Siri and stuff like that. But I have been playing with the, um, the proactive search and... I think that's probably my favorite feature so far. Okay, for people who don't know, tell me what proactive search means. Well, it is actually a whole bunch of uh, features kind of, you know, rolled into one umbrella uh, topic, I guess you'd say, or that Apple's touting. Um, So basically, if you swipe right, right? If you swipe right on your home screen, you'll bring up a uh, search menu that has now been updated with Siri suggestions and other suggestions for searches. So for example, if I swipe right on my iPhone right now, I'll get a news feed and some apps that I often uh, use, as well as a couple, four contacts that I recently talked to. So I mean, what they're doing is they moved the contacts over from the uh, apps, which are the multitasking screen. Remember how it used to be on the top of the multitasking screen in iOS 8? They moved that over to this new search pane. So it's kind of uh, bringing everything together and doing like a deep dive into what you, what apps you use, where you go, you know, what, what sites you visit and stuff. So um, for me, it's that's probably going to be my hub for the foreseeable future nice 
you can still access uh, the search by swiping down on the home screen as well. You don't get the full. Yeah, you don't get the full Monty. You just get uh, Siri app suggestions. Which I actually, is weird. Yeah, Which is I, weird. I, well, I think the reason is because it shows the keyboard by default because if you're swiping down, it goes straight into search mode where if you swipe to the left, um, you don't get the keyboard until you ha- tap the search menu up there. I actually don't use uh, the new search page Ooh, at all. I, um, for Since last year, I've had the, my main screen be just completely blank. Um, uh, I'm not really sure why because most of the time I just end up over at the app screen anyhow. But I just like having it there. It just kind of feels calming, I guess. And so it would take like two swipes for me to get from my apps over to that page. So if I'm looking for an app that's in a folder that I don't want to dig for, I just swipe down and search. And that's pretty much all I use it for. I don't use the quick contacts or the quick apps or any of that stuff. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and it's recommending nearby restaurants, coffee, shopping, and gas. Well, I don't have a car here, so that doesn't apply to me. I'm not planning on going shopping at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so no. Neil. I, I suppose coffee or restaurants could be okay, but I mean, it's good that it's there and it's helpful, and I like it that it's yeah. there, but you know, the things that I use are not necessarily the things that Mikey's going to use and vice versa. So You know what I, I found with uh, iOS 9? It became crystal clear to me is that I have been using my iPhone the same way as I've been using uh, my first since my first iPhone. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, I haven't really... Um, you got a user pattern up. down and you're... Yeah, I haven't opened myself it. up to the, to, the, to the wonders of iOS... Mm-hmm. That they have introduced over the years, and I'm going to make a concerted effort to uh, go into it with uh, with open eyes this time and try yeah. to use all the features. Because I mean, I've I've uh, I have like muscle memory, you know. I've, yeah. I you're a creature of habit. I think we all are, and it especially for someone who's for people who have been using iPhone for many many years, you get into this. Um, you get into like in these habits of how you interact with the device, and right. you know, with with Apple, you know, they're rolling out a lot of features that can actually um, usurp what you've been doing, you know, and and make it easier for you. Um, so I'm going to try to, you know, reformat myself and <laughs> and maybe take advantage of some of these features. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but uh, we'll see. Speaking of habits, have you guys found that since getting an iPhone 6, when you're on an iPad, you end up hitting the volume button to lock it instead of the button up top? Or in my case, it's usually when I'm taking a screenshot, I will press one of the volume buttons and the home button, and then I just go back to the home screen. I'm like, wait, what happened? It's like, oh, yeah, the the lock button is on a different place here on the iPad. No, but I do get pissed when I uh, try to turn – or when I try to uh, raise the volume on my phone because it always turns off because I put my thumb on the other oh, side. Oh, yeah, because you're squeezing both sides of the phone, yeah. right? Yeah. Thanks for uh, putting it directly across <laughs> from uh, the up volume up button. It's an awesome design. So, Neil, you were going to th- – this this episode was going to be Neil for, for our listeners, all, all you people listening out there. Neil was going to do something really daring, and this was going to be Neil's all iPad, all the time episode. He was going to set it up. He was going to record using iOS 9 on iPad. And what happened with that? Well, I am a big proponent of the iPad as a uh, more powerful device than people think that it is. Uh, It always surprises me the things that I can do with my iPad that 
Um, I sometimes naively think that I could never do with my iPad because I tend to, like a lot of people, think of it as a sub-computing device, you know? Uh, all the things I can do with my Mac. You know, the iPad is just kind of a cutesy. I want to read. I want to consume content, not create it. So with all the multitasking and, uh, you know, all the cool features in iOS 9, I was like, well, this would be a great episode for me to take one of these microphones that I have that has a lightning connector, plug it into my iPad because I know that I can do that, record it on there with GarageBand, Skype in for the call, and use the multitasking to kind of look at our show notes and open stuff in the browser and just do all this stuff at once. Come to find out that while it worked fine in iOS 8 because we've tested it before and actually used it, um, iOS 9 apparently has an issue where it does not allow me to use a plugged-in microphone while on either FaceTime audio or Skype. As soon as I connect to a call, it switches to either the headphones that I have plugged in and their microphone, or it switches to, uh, if I unplug the headphones, it switches to the iPad's microphone itself, and it will not use the lightning mic. So... That is one of those small little glitches out there that probably nobody noticed in testing because I don't know how many people are doing this. And I valiantly was attempting to prove what a cool uh, and useful device the iPad can be if you give it a chance and kind of embrace the platform. And I was uh, promptly shut down. So yeah, you left something else, didn't you? <laughs> yes. Didn't you, Neil? You, you... I did. Yeah, and and I'm I'm disappointed because it worked in iOS eight. We've done it before, and it's really cool. Um, hopefully, this is something that gets fixed soon because it's totally possible. And especially with the iPad Pro coming out, this is the kind of stuff I want to do more of, and I want to have it be a versatile computing device that can be a lot of things that a Mac can't be. Um, that's exciting for me. That really is where I start to see Apple's vision for the future of computing. And it's frustrating because we're so close. We're just so close, and it's just not quite there. Yeah, and it sounds like you really like iPad multitasking. I love it. Um, You know, if we're going to talk about our favorite iOS 9 features, um, iPad-specific changes uh, that were made, I love. Because ever since iOS 7... Uh, the iPad uh, version of iOS just feels like a blown-up version of the iPhone. I know the old criticism of the iPad is just a big iPhone, but really with it's iOS 7... Big iPod Touch. Yeah, really with iOS 7, they redid the whole OS and gave it a new look, and they didn't do anything really that was specific for the iPad. And there's so many cool iPad-specific things now in iOS 9 that I just love. I love the slide-over feature, especially because it works with apps that haven't been updated yet for iOS 9, so you can do multitasking. And then for apps that are native or have been updated, you can do split-screen multitasking, like Twitter already supports it. So you can do all these really cool things that you couldn't do before, and it's convenient, and it works pretty well. Um, And if you want to do a couple tasks at once or quickly access something like messages or whatever, great. So when we were setting up for the show today, I had um, uh, a Google Docs app uh, open with our show notes um, and a main app, and then on my slide-over app was Safari, and I would slide it over for stuff that I had open that I wanted to uh, that I had tabs open and ready and waiting to go. So I had it all fired up and ready to go. Um, and I think it's a great feature, and it really adds to the productivity of the iPad. And it's the kind of stuff that I'm excited for, but not quite there. No, sadly, sadly, not quite there. You know, I've been a fan of the idea of the low power mode on the iPhone. I yeah. regularly get into situations where I am down at 10% battery life, mm-hmm. and need to stretch it a little bit longer and the concept the very idea of being able to eke out that much more battery life 
really warms the cockles and subcockles of my heart. <laughs> but in practice, I've also had difficulties. What's the problem? Well, since we've been recording this podcast, dear listener, I've had to reboot my iPhone four times. Oh, jeez. <laughs> See, you've had way worse problems than I have. I mean, this microphone problem sucks, but, I mean, let's be realistic. This is a pretty extreme case scenario of yes. me wanting to use a, you know, a microphone that has a lightning kick. I mean, how many people are going to do that, right? Uh, the low-power mode I love because... I live in New York and the battery life on phones here is just abysmal because the networks and the phones have to work so hard to get through all the buildings and stuff. So if I'm going to be out of my apartment for five or more hours, I, I have to have a Mophie case uh, to recharge it because I know that that five hours, even if I'm not really using my phone, is just going to sap the battery. And, you know, it's just constantly because your phone, it, you know, it's one of those things where I should probably be putting it in airplane mode when I get on the subway because I know my phone is working to try to get a signal down there and stuff. Yeah, but why would you want to do that actively? So right. your, your phone gets down to 20% and it says, oh, wait a minute, you're at low battery power and it comes No, out. so the, actually here's what I do. You can turn on the low power mode at any point manually. You don't have yes. to wait till it gets to 20%. Settings. So if I'm going to be out and uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm going to be out for a while, Apple's actually made the battery settings a parent menu in settings now. So you open settings, and then it's right between Touch ID and Passcode and Privacy. It says Battery. Tap on Battery, and then you can turn on low power mode. And what it does is, even if my phone's at 100%, it goes in low power mode, dims the screen, turns off background app refresh, does all this stuff that sometimes I would do manually just to eke out more battery life, and it does it by default. My, my one complaint about low power mode, uh, because I'm a little anal retentive about this stuff, um, I get battery anxiety because my phone dies so quickly um, from being in the city. And so I turn off the percentage of my battery so I don't constantly be reminded that I'm at 30% or something. So Because that's an option. You can turn off the battery percentage. When you turn low on low mode, puts when you turn it right on in your mode, face. You cannot turn off, and I don't know why. They force the battery percentage on you. The battery in the top right changes to yellow so you know you're in low, low power mode. But it requires me to know the battery percentage. Um, Look at it, Neil. Look at it. Don't you see you're at 19%? Look at it. I live with it. Uh, I'm okay with it. But uh, that's just one of those things where it's like, why are you making me do this? Uh, But yeah, low power mode and iPad multitasking are definitely my favorite features of iOS 9. And I am loving both of them. Glad to hear it. And someday I hope to be loving them too. You have had such bad luck with iOS 9, man. Every day. Every day you got these problems. I will admit the keyboard issues are awful and the messages issues are awful. Terrible. I don't have a keyboard problem with messages. I have a keyboard problem with any place that it wants to accept input. And that's not limited to the keyboard. That's also including sometimes instead of using Touch ID, you swipe to the right and you can Mm -hmm. enter in your passcode. I get that on my iPad but not on my iPhone in iOS 9 and I don't know why. It will not accept my entering in the passcode so I can't even unlock my phone after freshly rebooting my phone. Yeah, because I'm more likely to go a couple days without using my iPad obviously than my phone. So sometimes I'll pick up my iPad and I haven't used it all weekend or something and then it's like, oh, you have to enter in your passcode manually and then the keyboard starts glitching out. So maybe that's why I'm only noticing it on the iPad because I don't enter my passcode very often on my phone. I attempted to swipe right from the home screen to see the search page that you and Mikey were discussing. And, and incidentally, that search page is something we had in the past and has returned. In iOS 3 and in iOS 4, that's where search used to live before we were able to pull it down to type yes. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's 
back from the mists of time. I I'm went glad over that they to left both slide in. forward to get there, mm-hmm. and it froze. So I didn't even get to see the the list of contacts and the gas and restaurants and all of that. I couldn't see the news. I had what to restart phone are you the running? phone. This is an iPhone six. Really, one hundred and twenty-eight gig, gold. Did you pre-order a success? I have not pre-ordered anything. Okay. I, I yeah, I don't have as serious of problems that you do. I, I will say, uh, the first iOS nine beta did not have the swipe down for search, and I prefer that. So thank you for putting that back in Apple. Thank you. Yeah, search from anywhere as opposed to search from all the way over at the left side of the page. Yeah, yeah. Well, they just... would have had to have made the home button. Remember, the home button used to return you to the first page so that you'd go right. home button and then swipe right to get to it. Yeah. And since home button now does so many other things, like double press to get wallet and all of this stuff, right? It, it doesn't make sense to do that any longer. But yeah, my fantastic gold 128 gig iPhone 6. <laughs> you have a gold one? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> and if I get a 6S, which I'm not convinced I will, but if I do, it'll be rose gold. Really? Absolutely. <laughs> Mikey, did you pre-order a 6S? Uh, I have two 6Ss and one 6S Plus pre-ordered. Good God. You're more baller than I am. What the hell happened? Uh, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to... Just, just in case, I've been burned by Apple before. So... I Here's a question that maybe you guys can answer that I don't know the answer to and might be helpful to our readers. Um, is there a way in settings on the iPhone 6 to turn off reachability? Yes. Yeah. How do you do it? I'm trying to do it now. Let's because see I, uh, Let's see you, if I can do it before it locks up. <laughs> because um, uh, you were saying all the things that the home button does, and I was just realizing that I accidentally invoke reachability all the time. Okay, so you go general, to settings, general accessibility, uh-huh. yeah. and then way down under accessibility... In the section that starts with keyboard, reachability mm-hmm. is an on-off toggle. Thank you. Perfect. That has been turned off. Okay, there you go. So a little useful tidbit for those of you out there who don't use reachability like me. That's how you turn it off. It's more of an annoyance than anything for me. And I wouldn't need it if the phone was smaller, but hey, you know, you can't win them all. So, Victor, what do you like about iOS 9? You know, it's, it's weird. I, I like the new Siri for one thing. Uh-huh. Um, use it with Apple Music? I don't use Apple Music anyway, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially now since I'm under the gun by Verizon's data limits. Um, yeah, I'm in this weird position where I hit 95% of my 6 gig data allowance on the eighth day of the I don't month. know what you're doing, man. I don't I, understand. No one does. <laughs> No one does you have at all. More, you have more problems going on with your phone and your data plan than they're not just limited to the phone and data plan. I assure you, but but in this case, yes, they all are. Right. <laughs> and uh, but but new Siri is nice. I do like new Siri. Well, and and, and I like the uh, the search function where it's going to plug into apps too. But that's one of those things where you haven't really seen it in action yet. So for the listeners who don't know, one of the features in iOS nine is it can search for content within apps. It can do a deep dive. And I want and, to name the app that does that today. Um, <laughs> Agile Bits One Password app had an update this morning and Ooh, does already? allow for yes searching awesome. your password vault. Ooh, that's yes. nice. I'm telling you. Ooh, okay, good. And good, I I good recommend One Password to everyone. They they don't pay me, but but I love it and I tell everyone I know to use One Password. And the fact that they added that is brilliant. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't gotten any good, really good iOS nine updates yet, uh, unfortunately. So. No, they theirs is a big one. If you read through, um, 
on the app store and look at what they added, the yeah. list is huge. I mean, I had to scroll about six pages on this iPhone six to see the whole thing. Yeah. And that was one of them. I'm excited. The iMovie update came out yesterday for iOS nine. Um, and I want to test it out when I get my iPhone success with all the, uh, 3d touch capabilities in iMovie. Wait, I think that's wait, hold, be- hold up. Okay. So you're getting a six S yes. for a minute. I thought I heard six S plus and I thought, no, well, the guy who likes the small phone is getting the large one. No, no, I'm not bringing out my Jinkos. <laughs> I tried the the six plus just to see what felt my, fit my pants pockets, and I'm yeah. I'm wearing regular plain old straight leg Levi's, and the six plus fits just fine. Yeah, in the front pocket. I wear skinny jeans, so. <laughs> I feel like you mentioned that every episode. You what hipster? That, that you wear skinny jeans. I don't actually wear skinny jeans. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that on here. I don't know where you got that idea from. Uh, Mikey, check what, with, check what is tape. your favorite iOS 9 feature, Mikey? Um, or a couple of them, uh, whatever you got. I, I don't I, – I mean, I, I like the new – okay. Mikey, do I, you I use like, your iPhone? Let's start with the basics. I do. But I like the, the app switcher, the, mm-hmm. the multi, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think people are, are kind of, uh, you know, pissing on it because it's a – no, it's – it's so uh, it's, it's too ostentatious. I mean, we don't need a full pane, and the, I don't like how it comes up. But I'm thinking, you know, when the i when the iPhone 6s comes out, and you have 3D touch, and you can do the press and swipe to the right to activate the app switcher instead of double clicking on the home button. Yeah, it's going to be so awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. Should, I, I want to say this about the app switcher. At first, I did not like it, and now I'm fine with it. Did anybody uh, use the quick contacts in the iOS 8 app switcher? Did anybody use that? Yeah. I, you I did? Used it. I never used it. Not once. It I left it there. I wasn't one of the people that turned it off. but I. It was just it a there. bunch of smiling faces staring at me every time I pressed it. You have photos for your contacts. It was a bunch of initials for me. <laughs> it auto-populates through Facebook, so it's everybody's stupid Facebook photos on there. So what I wanted to say about the app switcher is this. The original one was basically borrowed from... Well, it came out of a, a jailbreak app that was essentially cloning the app switcher from WebOS. Yeah, from, from the cards interface. The cards interface. And the cards interface was good. There was no reason not to tape that. Yeah. If we'd had this all along, no one would have had any gripe at all. Yeah. Right? This is a fine app switcher. It totally works. The only real difference from this one and the former one is that this one is is right-to-left centric and the former one was left-to-right centric. Yeah. And I think it's. I don't understand the complaints. I think it's fine. You know, this this one. If you're right-handed, you're pulling with your thumb instead of pushing with your thumb. Right. And that's fine. It totally works. It's totally acceptable. And the if there's a gain, the gain is that you get to see three apps as opposed to what the app switcher showed you before. Yeah, but I think, and also on you know, even negating the app switcher is that you can uh, attach pictures and whatnot to emails uh through share sheets now or you know in ios 9 yeah because before i used to be switching back and forth between uh like say um like an email client like um outlook or something and maybe instagram and copying pasting or um, saving to photos and then you know having to go through share sheets there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how often I'm going to be using the app switcher because that was like my main 
that was my go-to okay, so for why I used it. But for, it is for my benefit really nice. because you know I don't know. Maybe our listeners don't know either. Maybe you don't know out there, but I don't know. How are you going to use the share sheet? Walk me through it. Which share sheet in yes. iOS nine? Yes, in mail. Yeah. In mail, well, in mail now you can. Okay, well, like let's say you're creating a new email to like Victor or whoever. Um, previously, I would have to go into another app like say photos or Instagram and copy paste into that email like if I wanted to share a picture or um, some text or something but now I can do that through share sheets or haven't you been able to do that since iOS 8 um wait there's a there's a new attachment feature in the mail app though like not in the photos app yeah no not in the photos app so we can do that more easily. So it kind of negates the purpose of the mm-hmm. app switcher for me. Where, where but, is this in the mail app? I'm trying to compose a new email and I'm not seeing it. I'm trying to do it too. Hold I on. use mailbox. I don't even use the mail app. I gave up on mailbox. Mm-hmm. I use outlook. One and I the, use mail. The, uh, the share sheets in iOS so, 9 are also fully customizable, which is great. You can. It used to be that uh, Apple gave priority to its own built-in share sheets. Now you can order them however you want and put whatever, whichever one you want first. So if you're a big Snapchatter or something, you can make that number one. It's cool. Okay, so Victor, yes. uh, you do the old uh, contextual menu gesture. So you tap and hold and then release. Yeah. And it's the last option, add attachment. Okay, so I am so, tapping and holding. On the uh, body, and right? And then I do the arrow over, and instead of doing insert photo or video, which goes to the photo picker, yeah, I do add attachment. Add attachment, and then you can mm-hmm. switch your and then it locations. Nuts so right now... It's my shitty phone. Okay, well, on my phone that works, uh, you can... It, it's If you have the iCloud Drive app, it defaults to that, but you can change locations. So um, for me, I can... Select from Box, Dropbox. So there's a more, and you can turn Google on drive, that you want to select from yeah. Box, Dropbox, yeah. Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, okay, my phone restart. I've got Quip and BitTorrent Sync that I can also pull from, so mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. do that. So mm-hmm. so depending uh, on the developer and if they uh, put hooks into this new feature, you can add attachments, which is great for me. Oh, I have to screenshot what it's done here because it is ghastly I'm going to share this guy with you guys later let's keep going wow so there's a lot of stuff in iOS 9 most of it good some of it very abysmal and brutal for, for actual implementation and the way that we're using it but but if the audio path worked we would have been using it for the podcast today and, and, and we uh, asked some of our listeners to share what their favorite features of iOS 9 are on Twitter uh, at Apple Insider and uh, we got some good ones on here, uh, if you guys want to go through some of them with me. Um, Mr. iOS at MEI Doctor said that their favorite is on-screen battery usage. So we were talking about battery life before. Uh, now it shows you how much uh, time an app was on screen and how much it ran in the background. So you get even more details on what's draining your battery. A lot of people mention the battery saving mode. That seems like a pretty popular one. Joe Poole uh, at Joe underscore cool underscore pool said Siri and the battery saving modes are his favorites. Um, 
Sam's Aperture at Sam's Aperture said uh, split screen on the iPad, but the best thing for him is uh, a really uh, big performance boost on older devices. Have you guys tried iOS 9 on older devices and seen any differences? How old is old? I have an iPhone 5C that I was using for earlier betas and tried it on. I didn't really notice any differences, but it's not my daily phone, too. So, I, I loaded um, one of the late betas on a 5S, and I didn't see much in the way of performance boost, but it did get really hot. Uh, the, here's, a, here's one that I didn't know about uh, that's pretty cool. Eric Ritter, at Eric Ritter, told us uh, that his favorite feature is sharing of voicemails. Says it's a great addition. Will be especially handy Ooh. for business purposes. Yes. I did not know that you could do that. So thank you, Eric, for sharing with us. Looking into that right now. Uh, yes. Someone uh, yes. named Finn Stark at the Game Thrones says they're loving the news app. Um, for those of you out there who uh, haven't done it yet, open the news app, search for Apple Insider, and you can add us on there, and you will get all the latest Apple news delivered to you from us. Uh. Buses and at at pgh underscore bus underscore info says uh, they like Wi-Fi calling even though AT&T is still working on it. I was using uh, Wi-Fi calling with AT&T up until yesterday. I was at, I was at a restaurant last night and I had Wi-Fi and I was using it for SMS. So I think it's working, but maybe not. Hard to say. Maybe it's in select markets or something like that, but it seems like it's working. I haven't tried it. Uh, here's yet. another Why? one that I uh, didn't really think about, but uh, works. Um, I can't pronounce his name. Vicky K at Vicky K H A J A N C H I. I apologize. I'm not going to try to spell that one. Um, yeah, I can't. Uh, they said that they like uh, pinching out into of a photo into the gallery. So before uh, you would have to tap the photo and press up in the upper left corner to go back to the main photo gallery. Now you can just pinch it, or you can actually swipe it up, I believe, too, and that just takes you back to the photo gallery, which is very cool and very convenient. Ones I'm a fan of are the one that uh, Hemant or, or Gandhi, G-A-N-D-I-V, Gandiv, said was calculation and conversion in search, which is mm-hmm. welcome. I use that on the Mac all the time, and being able to do that on the phone is going to be a big plus. Uh, one of the other ones here was mentioned was using the ruler in notes. And I tried to do that, but it said I need to upgrade my notebook and need to put El Capitan on my Mac. And I'm just not mm-hmm. prepared to do that yet. But those are uh, both things I'm looking forward to a lot. David Lewis at Union Design said he likes the new San Francisco font. He thinks it's a huge improvement over the Helvetica new that was in there before. No, yeah. That's a, an interesting one because uh, uh, a lot of um, uh, our readers were very – upset over it and there was a lot of controversy uh about it in the comments uh, well helvetica is is not something that you use in daily daily life right i mean victory right it's it's more of a it's more of a font that you'd use for mastheads and it's it's signing and stuff yeah it's yeah. not it's not something that it's hard on the eyes you, you, and I'm not you sure don't that... want it for large amounts of body text it's something that you use appropriately and and carefully for headings or signage or things like this i'm not sure that san francisco is gonna is much of a improvement but we'll see hopefully the kerning oh. seems a little weird for me i gotta reboot my phone again <laughs> 
Uh, yes, yeah, some of the people here uh, who tweeted us were saying that the podcast app is actually broken in iOS 9. I haven't noticed that. I was able to open it. I don't know what that means considering the rest of my luck, but I was definitely able to use it for seeing that we had new episodes posted. Softlayer delivers a cloud built for results. Your business, your applications, your computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your specific needs. And Softlayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers, like a public cloud, from a single seamless platform. It's on demand, it's connected to the same open API, and it's all connected to a global private network. You can scale your workloads up or down and have ample space for all of your storage-intensive tasks. Softlayer is an IBM company, and it uses the same cloud infrastructure foundation for all of IBM's cloud products and services. Even if you're not looking for infrastructure, you can benefit from this kind of infrastructure when you use a platform or software services for IBM Cloud. And all of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P. You can order bare metal servers, dedicated servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security services from your choice of data center. And there are 24 data centers around the world. Visit softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built for results from Softlayer. So watchOS 2 was delayed. What what happened there? Because we got we got all of the updates for iOS for all of the phones. We know that the TV is coming with the new Apple TV that's beginning to ship to developers now. But it's a little unusual for a release to be delayed for an update to a device that's already out there, like the watch, isn't it, Mikey? Yeah. No. I mean, it is the new Apple. They are uh, seem to be very behind in their software development recently. Do you think that they're a little stressed, which is why we haven't got El Cap yet as well? I don't know. It's hard to. It's hard for me to believe that they are, um, considering what the software holds and how many people I imagine are working on it. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I, for Watch OS two, it, it is there are a lot of major changes coming. Um, you know the 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 foremost being native apps, right? I, maybe they're having trouble uh, implementing that without sucking out the entire uh, sucking out battery life or something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Or they could just be having issues with just implementing native apps in general. Right. I don't have the watch. I know that Neil put it on his uh, his watch and said that he bricked it. I feel like Johnny Ive is responsible for a lot of Apple software woes. Why are you laying this at his feet? Because he's in charge of... Uh, he's basically in charge of all of this... All of these new changes that are coming through. I mean, he has a final say. And he I feel like he's putting style... The- over substance. Well, he's, he's got a final say over the interaction design, but he's not sitting there drawing up the requirements that says these things will run natively and they will do it in this way. All of this stuff not is terrible. Everything is terrible. I'm, I'm only half kidding about going to Android at this point. It's not any better on Android. I hate to break it to you. I know. I know that. I have true. buddies that are hardcore Android fans that just gave up and they said, if I can't do this anymore, and they're on iPhones. And they hate Apple and they hate iPhones and they use all Google services on their iPhone, but they just can't deal with Android anymore. Yeah. 
I don't know. Well, iOS is going down that path too. Functioned, I'd be okay. Well, you got to get the new one, bro. Dude, I got a contract on this thing. Hmm. Now I'm liking the idea as soon as I'm out of contract to go with the Apple upgrade plan. Oh well, gotta go into the store. They don't. They don't have any path right now that says get on the Apple upgrade plan by turning in your current phone that's on contract. Why would they? T-Mobile. If I go to T-Mobile uh, and do this, they will buy out the ETF. I feel like uh, if you go to T-Mobile, uh, John Legere will come to your house at this yeah. point. You, you know, Mikey, there are worse things in my life that could happen right now. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you started it. Oh, <laughs> Good my. Lord. So let's pick up where we left off. You were asking me about Watch OS 2, right? Yeah, Neil, what's going on with Watch OS 2? So I've been running Watch OS 2 on my watch for eh, a few weeks now. Um, when I first installed it, it did not go well. Uh, it kept rebooting. It wouldn't install properly. It wouldn't connect. And it was a dangerous move because you cannot downgrade from watchOS 2 to watchOS 1. So if you actually ruin your watch, you have to mail it into Apple. So I had a, uh, a harrowing moment there where uh, the uh, I thought maybe I was going to have to mail in my watch to Apple. Thankfully, after repeated tries, watchOS 2 installed um, seems to run okay. There was a last-minute uh, breaking bug that uh, prevented this from being uh, shipped. I have not experienced anything th- that crazy with it since the initial install. Um, but to be honest with you, there's not really much to it until the um, third-party apps start coming out. I don't have any third-party apps yet that run natively on it, so I can't say. I'm, I run uh, exclusively with my Apple Watch, and so I'm forced to use Apple's fitness app, and I used to use RunKeeper. So I'm hoping that RunKeeper releases a native Apple Watch app that will use the pedometer in there to estimate my pace and distance and all that. Um, and I'm excited also for the uh, third-party complications, of which there are none at the moment. Um, other than that, you gain a new time-lapse uh, watch face, which I'm not too crazy about. Um, custom photo watch faces, which are kind of cool. Um, and you have the uh, time travel feature. Uh, where you can rotate the digital crown. It'll show you what's going on the rest of the day, how the weather will change, what's on your calendar, that kind of stuff. Eh, it's an okay feature, not that great. And then um, the other thing is the nightstand mode, where uh, when you lay it down on the charger, uh, you can use it to see the time at night. I don't use that feature, so not really of interest to me. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a good upgrade. Um, I'm not sure it's worth the full 2.0, I guess, it's, but it's really all about the apps. And until we get the apps, um, it's hard to really judge this update. I, for one, am, am a little leery of the extra complications. One of the things that I like is the ability to have a minimal watch face. And if I'm turning on a complication, the last thing I want is for it to be differently colored. And the the complications looked to me like they were going to start doing that. So it's it's a more crowded, more... It depends on the watch face. So if you use the utility watch face, the complications can have colors. But if you use the simple watch face, then the complications, uh, or the color watch face or other ones, then the complications are in black and white or various colors, the chronograph one, uh, etc. So I'm actually, current my current watch face is the utility one. And so I have my uh, complication in the upper left is the sunrise and sunset. Mm-hmm. And my complication in the upper right is my um, activities uh, rings. 
And so the rings actually display in color, and I like that uh, because the red one is just a general movement. The middle um, green one is uh, exercise, and then the innermost blue one is um, uh, standing. So having the colors there makes it easier for me to see which of the rings I've completed as I go through the day. And I really do like the rings feature. So I found myself on WatchOS 2 actually using that because it has colors in it. Um, so I do like that. But your concerns, I understand, that then you just pick a different watch face that doesn't have that. And you can use whatever complications you want. You're not forced to use any third-party ones, obviously. And that level of customization, I think, is one of the best features of the watch to deliver that kind of glanceable information that you want throughout the day without having to really interact with the device. Well, I have yet to get the watch, but someday, someday, mark my words, I will. And, uh, and then I will be asking you for all the help with it. Well, I'm, I'm just waiting on these third-party apps because I think that's going to... Right now, they're just so slow, man. It, you know, it's, it, it's, there, there's no point in using a third-party app in watchOS 1 because it is so slow. How slow is it? <laughs> so, so slow. I mean, Mikey, do you have a watch. Do you use any third-party apps? Let me think. Hue. Hue's not too bad. So you go to the home screen, tap on the Hue app, and launch it. Mm-hmm. And it yep. does not load slowly. No, because it's, I mean, it's transferring minimal amount of data, right? Right. And it's not loading text or anything. So all I do is open it, and it, it loads, I think the way they have it, uh, it's it loads immediately, and then I tap it and I go wait a couple seconds and then light turns on or off. So mostly it, it's sending, mostly the time is spent sending data to my iPhone, which is then sent to the, the hub. Um, the only thing that's coming back is a um, confirmation that the light is off. Yeah, changing the state on the app. Yeah, so it, it's the, that, that implementation is good. How many bulbs do you have? Four, I only use like two though. Where where did you put them? In my bedroom. Okay, so you're you're in your bedroom and you get in bed and you're too lazy to turn to the switch, so you use your watch to turn off the lights. Uh, my switch is on my wall, which I would have to get up and, you know, turn off. It's much easier to switch it off on my, on my phone. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, the plus effort, um, the effort involved. So the, the well, rest of the, us old timers, we we go to the wall, we turn it off, and get in bed in the dark. Well, plus the uh, the switch is a master for uh, the overhead fan, the ceiling fan. Hmm. So um, with the Hue, I can keep the fan on and you know plug in lights into the the yeah, out, as opposed out to like standing controls. up on your bed and reaching for the pole chain to turn the lights off on the light kit. Got it. No, no, uh, no. I mean uh, the it turns off outlets within the room as well as the fan. Wow. Yeah, it's a weird wiring thing that they did. Only certain outlets are uh, continuously powered. Other ones run through the yeah, wall switch. switch. Yeah. So it makes things a little simpler for Today me. in home DIY electrical wiring. Um, yeah, I'm going to recommend that you get either a two-space two, uh, two box and put on another switch, or, um, or there are light switches that have two switches top and bottom the same way that a, an outlet is top and bottom. And you can yeah. fit into the space of one and separate that out a little bit. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. Do you see yourself using Siri with uh, Hue once they release their new hub? No. No. Really? Why not? Um, because I don't. 
want to be that I don't know I just don't I feel weird telling my phone to do something when I can just do it with my finger it's faster and um, I don't know I mean the whole home kit thing it's it's great it works what about uh, with uh, always on hey Siri with a success when that save time <sighs> I don't know you know I, I don't know because I mean, I do things pretty quick on my phone with my fingers. So you got quick fingers, man. I do. They're uh, very dexterous. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. I I also feel weird. I I don't know. I, I just can't get over um, the fact that I'm talking to my phone, and I know it's I don't know. I, if they didn't make it so like, hey Siri, can you turn off my lights? If it was just like, you know, turn off my lights, then I well, guess... it can be. I mean, the always on part is the hey Siri to prompt it, but you yeah, can just say, turn off my lights, and they'll go off. Yes, but then I, I'd be touching my phone, in which case I can Are just... Are you touching your phone if you're being dexterous with your fingertips? Well, right now I have the hue... Um, uh, oh, you got the notification accessory. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, can, I can do it from the Today screen, so okay. I don't even have to really open my, you know, turn my phone on, unlock it, blah, blah, blah. I can do it directly from the, the swipe down notifications menu. This actually reminds me of uh, something that I'm disappointed with with the new Apple TV. Uh, you have to be using the remote actively and press the Siri button in order to have it listen to your voice. And I was hoping that kind of like with the iPhone 6S, it would be an accessory that was kind of the microphone would be in front of your TV or on the unit itself and you would just speak generally or while you were around the house and really get those smart home functions in a way where it was totally hands-free. Like mm, I could yeah. be, you know, it's in the like kitchen. It's, but but you say, remember earlier this year or last year, there was a, a huge story for about a day about TV that was always on and always listening. Yeah. And there was no way to disable the mic. It was like, it was a Samsung or an LG or something like yeah. this. And so by putting the button on there and requiring the button, they've avoided having that news story come out. But they didn't do that with success. Yeah, no, I think, well, I mean, obviously the main thing here is that has a built-in battery with a finite amount of life. And to get that very, very long lasting, well, I don't, I'm kind of uh, skeptical that it's actually going to last for, what is it, 90 days? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to get that, you can't have something that's continuously listening well here here's what it really is i I think that apple in a perfect world would have liked to have built the microphone into the unit itself but considering that you need space between microphones and very and you have varying acoustics and furniture and things on the walls in people's houses it just does not work and so the easiest way to do it is just to integrate it into the microphone my guess is that apple would like to do something like that where it's just something that sits in front of your TV and is always listening, but limitations of technology and physics essentially uh, prevented them from doing that. And so putting it in the remote is kind of the easy way out. Well, it's just like the Fire TV. Yeah, I mean, it's, you mm-hmm. press a button and you speak into it. It's right, but I mean, solution. if you have a, a, a PlayStation 4 with a camera right. or an Xbox right. One with Connect, oh, an Amazon those have Echo. an Amazon Echo. Those are things that... Uh, in the in the case of the set top boxes of the game consoles, they have their own microphone that is a standalone thing that has an array of microphones in it, and they're spaced out from one another, and they actually have to be configured to your room with the acoustics and the layout and all that. Yeah, and I, but it's difficult again, to it, do. Again, it, those things are 
tethered, right? I mean, they're right. they and it would be ugly. Build. Apple would never want to do that. That's why. Yeah. That's why it's not. Well, if they put it in the box, I guess it wouldn't be a problem. But um, well, it would be a problem it, because what if with, you have like a big. Um, you know, piece of furniture uh, that you have the Apple TV inside of. A lot of people do that where there's like a glass front on it. Yeah. It would block out noise. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, logistical people, issues that you run into when you're trying to do that setup. Yeah. I and mean, people like keep the their Apple TV behind their TV sometimes. Right. You know? like, well, and especially the new model doesn't require a line of sight with the remote. It connects via Bluetooth. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think that Apple would like to make it always on, but they didn't want to have an ugly thing that plugs in and, you know, is separately placed somewhere. It would have broken from their clean aesthetic. So putting the microphone into the controller is just a, the easiest solution at that point. I think right. that's why. And, they- and Shane would tell you as a product designer, and I'll tell you as, as project manager in the past, that when you go to make a product, at some point, every product is a series of choices and compromises. And Apple right. says, you know, that there there is a uh, a thousand no's to one yes. But clearly, you, you at some point have to decide what's going to work versus what are your goals. And this is one of them. But I mean, if, if Echo is going to catch on or if you're going to have HomeKit actually work, it's going to need something that's always listening, right? I mean, that's the truly hands-free way of doing it. So... We thought maybe it would be the Apple TV. It's clear that's not there yet. Does it become the iPhone 6S? Does it become the watch? Where do we get this truly hands-free, I don't need to interact, I don't need to worry? I don't know that HomeKit needs that to to be successful. HomeKit is about all of these different things exist out there, and they're all disparate, and we need to aggregate them together so that you have one way of controlling and one way of organizing all of these things. It just seems to me like there are so many potential obvious uses for a hands-free way of interacting with HomeKit. You know, um, uh, you are in the kitchen and you've got your hands full and you're cooking dinner or you're doing something and you want to, you know, turn off the TV or raise the volume or do something. It just makes too much sense to have it just be there and always listening and always on and giving you what you need. Even in Star Trek The Next Generation, they didn't have it always on and listening. They had to, to press their little badges and say, computer. <laughs> and, and that's where we're at with the interaction right now. Well, but not with the success, though. The success is going to be always listening. And Apple has already had to respond to security concerns on that because people were worried that it was sending information off to Apple. And Apple came out and clarified and said that it's always listening for your voice, but it's only doing it on the device itself and none of the information Locally. is being sent to Apple. Yep. Yeah. Until, that is, you connect with Siri. So you say, hey, Siri, and then it connects, and then the rest of the information gets sent off so it can do the voice processing and all that. But it's integrated into the new M9 motion and listening chip uh, on the A9 processor. Yeah. It's uh, actually quite an intriguing piece of tech that they have there. It it constantly monitors and matches against uh, your, your voice print. Well, Android phones have been doing that for some time now, though. No. They have, they have dedicated chips in them that have been doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it, so it saves battery life and makes it an easy yep. way to do it. Cool. That's tip. one of those where areas where Apple's catching up, but it's good. It's, it's, I'm glad they're finally doing it because it's a feature I see myself using. Yeah, and since we're talking about Apple TV as a part of this, I, uh, I want to bring up, we had a listener who asked, rightfully so, is it still possible on the new Apple TV to play content from one of my computers? Neil, you and I looked into this a little bit. What did we discover? We didn't really discover much because Apple doesn't say, but it says that you can stream content from your Mac to your Apple TV. What this guy was asking was, is there going to be a dedicated computers app 
on the Apple TV like there is on the current generation models. We can't find any evidence that there is. I would assume that there has to be a way to stream local content from the Apple TV without having to AirPlay. But until uh, the developers start really cracking into it and showing us what the device is capable of, the short answer is we don't know. Right. The the Apple page for Apple TV says, enjoy it on the big screen with the best speakers with AirPlay. You can wirelessly stream content. So they're still talking about pushing content from the Mac to the TV, where in years past, with, with all of the prior generations of Apple TV, we've been pulling content from iTunes. We don't know. Yeah. Well, the don't home sharing... Believe. I mean, the, the home sharing page has not been updated yet. <laughs> well, actually, it has been updated, but it still says the same thing. Yeah, no so, mention of the new Apple TV. Yeah. I mean, it does say Apple TV, you can do it, but it's not clear that it's the fourth gen Apple TV with TVOS. Now, I wouldn't expect it to reflect any changes until they announce a ship date, at least. Mm-hmm. So, do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. No matter what business in, we'll have something for you. Used by 60 million people throughout the world, Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites. You can even do it yourself with a drag-and-drop builder, hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, and no coding required. It's easy, and it's free. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. Thanks to Wix.com for sponsoring our podcast today. With Wix.com, you don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. That's W-I-X.com. Go there and easily create your own stunning website for free today. You might want to mute me on that. Um, As opposed to every other time? <laughs> yeah, because I dropped my mic. <laughs> oh, so that was the actual Mikey Campbell mic drop. Damn right. Damn right. I want to talk about cars. Of course you do. About cars. Of course. of course I do. Oh, yes, fine. You know I like cars. I like talking about cars. I was I was uh, in a discussion space on the internet the other day at some other site and got into a discussion about Android Auto and CarPlay and people who were were looking to put Android Auto in their cars and were actually considering trading up to a newer model car rather than just replacing the existing head unit because it was easier for them to trade in their car then screw with it. You know, I think of cars as being rolling entertainment systems, right? That's that's one of the big things that people care about when they get a car is, is of course, how does it feel, how does it drive, and what's the entertainment package like? What's the tech package like? And as cars become more like tech packages, right now, who do we look to? We've got Nissan Leaf, we got Tesla, and, 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 Mikey? Project U- U- Titan? Uber? Oh, oh, Project Titan. <laughs> Well, Uber's a good one, too, because they're, they're making all the cars robots so they don't have to pay a driver ever again. Well, and the CEO of Uber was on uh, Stephen Colbert's show last week, and he said that Apple was working on a car, just matter oh, of fact. Oh, Travis. <laughs> Travis. And uh, so when like Tim Cook was on there, they... The you know they when, are, right? That's, that's what he said. When uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, Tim Cook was on there, they asked him, and of course he refused to answer. But He didn't refuse to answer. He gave a very diplomatic answer. Yes, he did. But, uh, you know, we at Apple Insider have 
broken numerous uh, stories on this Project Titan car initiative through our own sources uh, who are connected to the project. And uh, we had a couple of uh, pretty big scoops this week uh, as that project goes along. Um, one of them being that uh, apparently um, one of our people that is in the know says that uh, Apple has been hiring so many people from Tesla that it's actually causing internal delays on future products for Tesla because they've lost so many high-profile talent at Apple or uh, to Apple. So uh, it seems like the uh, the war of uh, uh, poaching employees is is going very heavily behind the scenes and having a very real impact uh, on Tesla. I guess the project at Apple is so exciting that a lot of people at Tesla are jumping ship to go do what Apple's doing. Well, if you're at Tesla today and you're doing product development, you know, for, for some parts of it, it's pretty well sorted out and you get to maintain or improve the thing that's already there, right? You know, the, the in-dash dashboard system is what it is. It's been pretty well defined. You get to improve on it and you're stuck with it for a number of years until you can pull a Johnny Ive and change it like iOS 7, right? You can, you can eke out better, um, better energy conservation and better energy usage and better performance, but it's, it's done. And if you're going to Apple, you get to start over, right? You get to make all these cool new decisions all over again. And they're pretty early on in the process from everything we've heard. Um, one of our sources that reached out to us this week uh, for another story that we had that you can see in the show notes um, said that Apple has this internal goal of uh, start building its own car by 2020. So they're still uh, you know, at least five years out. And even that might be in question just because there's so many roadblocks uh, between them in coming to market. And uh, our source suggested that Apple may, may necessitate them partnering with somebody which would explain why Apple has been in such close talks with BMW. Um, it would appear that maybe Apple feels like to bring this product to market, they can't do it on their own and they need to partner with an established player to really make a product. Well, and history would tell us that that makes sense, right? Apple's partnered with other people to bring products to market first and yeah. then refine them and go their own path, right? You know, if, if we want to go back to the really the dawn of time, the first iTunes-capable phone was a Motorola. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a disaster. And it was garbage. <laughs> but that was partnership first, and partnership proved there was something interesting to do there, and then we got the real iPhone. Right, and uh, supposedly uh, one of the sites that Apple is considering for um, heavy development and potentially even maybe manufacturing of their car is a uh, property that they purchased in San Jose last month. Uh, they paid $138 million for a 43-acre building plot, and there's a 2 million square feet of office space, but there's a lot of unused land there, too, that potentially they could be uh, doing stuff with. It was well, an exclusive... Whole, um, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, if you look at the, the story in the show notes, um, it's actually the whole place is... It's, it's an empty field. It's actually right across from... Um, this place where they this tech uh center where they lease how like 300,000 square feet or something mm -hmm. of office space it's it's basically two times the size of that entire complex and it's just dirt right now so i mean all they need to do zone it build it it's right next to an airport i don't think they'll have a issue getting um Permits. Can, can they build it any faster than they've been building the UFO? <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to be. Well, depending on what they build, if they do plan on building something, I don't 
expect it to be as detailed as the S Campus 2. It's probably yeah. just going to be a huge warehouse or something. The bulk of the development now on this project has been going on in a facility in Sunnyvale, a considerably smaller space um, that we reported on earlier this year in March uh, in a big exclusive that we had where um, uh, they've been hiding, we believe, under the uh, guise of a company named 68 Research, which claims to be a market research firm, but from what we can tell has zero presence doing anything anywhere. But uh, there are connections between Apple and this facility where 68 Research is. And our sources have said that that's where the bulk of development on Project Titan is currently going. So um, presumably as the project expands and they bring on people from Tesla and all that, they're going to need more space uh, to work with as they, as they move forward on this project. Cool. Well, I am, I am looking forward to this project. I... Uh... You know, yes, I'm the same person that complains about $149 Apple TV, but I like the idea of Apple producing a vehicle. <laughs> and what better, uh, what better partner to do it with than the Bavaria Motivex, who has uh, arguably one of the worst infotainment systems out there? Agree? Disagree? Uh, they were one of the first really good MFI licensees to put a, an iPhone-capable entertainment system in their cars. Right. But you, you the infotainment like it. system, as it it's it's buggy and breaks often, and it's ugly, and it breaks often, and it breaks often, like a lot of other features on their cars. Can't they just can't they just make a car that is light on features and heavy on drivability, like they, they used to? They did, and I owned one. It was a 1981 yes. 320is. Okay, no, I mean, like, now. <laughs> well, Again. Like my IIS, I had a great 320, great 3 Series. Yeah, it's, it, that's a nice car. It was fantastic. It's a nice car. The, uh, the old... Um, I had a friend who had a 2002 with a turbo. That was brilliant. What happened, BMW? So much bloat. The Toyotaification of BMW. Oh, God. Anyway. Yeah. Well, there was there were a couple of years ago there was a, a Camry ad or a Corolla ad, and they basically compared themselves to the 2002. Uh, it's an iconic car, I guess. It, it is, and they said that they were as light and simple and reliable as that. Mm-hmm. I'll dig that up. Put a, I believe put, you. Put a Toyota ad in the show notes. There we go. So let's talk about the iPhone 6S. It launched. It's it's for pre-order. It, we had the big announcement last week. So you pre-ordered three, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I did. I did. I think you are single-handedly responsible for putting Apple on track to break their record opening week in sales. That's what my girlfriend said. Uh, she she read uh, she read something about she read that mainstream media coverage of how mm-hmm. Apple is uh, you know primed to break the record, and she said, "Oh well, uh, that's because you ordered uh, three phones with her money." It's no, well, no. <laughs> Well, no. well, yes. <laughs> it's people like you who inflate the numbers. What, what was interesting about this is in years past, Apple has given an actual number. Like last year in the first three days of pre-sales, they said they already sold $4 million. Um, and they went on an opening weekend to sell a total of $10 million and they were kind of backlogged with the iPhone 6. Mm. So the interesting yeah. thing is that they did not give any specific numbers this year. They just said that they're on pace they're on to pace. break. Now, that is... Good news for Apple, obviously, but it's not that exciting when you consider that one of the launch countries this year is China, 
And last year, China was not one of the launch countries. So just by nature, because China is such a huge market for Apple now, the fact that they're going to set a new record for the iPhone 6S should come as a surprise to nobody. Three or four yeah, years but- ago, it took them six months to, to launch in China. And then last year, it took them like an extra month or two weeks or whatever to launch in China. Now they're launching China and U.S. same day and date. So China has been a huge priority for Apple. I mean, they weren't even officially sold in the country up until just a few years ago. Um, and now they've expanded to all the major carriers there. So Apple's been pushing hard in China because they saw a lot of opportunity there and it's been paying off dividends for them. So so yeah. you think the numbers should be even bigger? It shouldn't be on track. It should be already broken? Yeah, the surprise well, they're, they're, that, they're going yeah. to they're going to break the record. I mean, that's not a question. But the, by the how more much, concerning, Neil? yeah, the more concerning thing for people on Wall Street was that they didn't give a specific number. And last year they did give a specific number. Last year they said they sold four million pre-orders in the first weekend. This year they didn't say anything. Doomed, okay. doomed. This year they just said that they're going to break last year's record, which is ten million in the launch weekend. So let me ask a different question, which is probably a more sensible question. Someone mute your phone. That's my watch. Unprofessional. That was that's just irresponsible. <laughs> Do not disturb exists for a reason. Or is that another feature that was too new for you to take advantage of and use your habits for? It doesn't have a physical button, so I don't use it. Uh-huh. When I got the iPhone six, there was constrained supply, and that was partly what led me to get the hundred and twenty eight gig was that everyone was buying up sixty fours and I was able to buy the hundred and twenty eight. Do we think the same thing is going to happen here for the six S? The uh, expectation is that there's going to be a constrained supply of the 6S Plus because according to Ming-Chi Kuo of KGI Securities, um, there is an issue with the backlight supplier. And so the 6S Plus will be more constrained than the 6S. Yeah. It's all about the 3D touch integration, Mm. adding that capacitive um, array to the backlight is kind of gumming up the works. But we did have a story this week where some developers dug around in Xcode and confirmed that the 6S has 2 gigs of RAM, which matches the iPad Air 2, which is great um, for any of you who have had a browser, Windows close, and Safari when you go to another task and come back and it has to reload. And the forthcoming iPad Pro has a whopping 4 gigabytes of RAM, so I'm pretty excited about that. Are you getting the iPad Pro? I am probably going to get the iPad Pro, yeah. We talked about it on last week's episode a little bit with Mikey, and um, I'm all in on Apple's vision of the future of computing, and I'm excited about the potential for the new smart connector port. I think it's kind of a MagSafe with data, um, and I think that there's going to be a lot of cool accessories and potential there, especially as future iterations of it come around. But uh, I like the bigger screen. I like the form factor. I like the versatility. So, uh, and four gigs of RAM is great. And if they can fix iOS nine and have Lightning microphones work, then I would love to just be using my iPad Pro to do the podcast every week and other certain specific tasks where it would actually be better suited than my Mac. I yeah. don't know if four gigs is enough. What do you think? I mean, it's enough for now, but they should be giving us. It's enough more for last year. It. It's enough for two yeah. years ago. I, I want more. They they need to give us more. Well, it's, now, the the MacBook Air, which we know is going to be on the chopping block one of these days, it mm, ships with 4 so, gig of RAM, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, so they, I don't know. They're, they're obsoleting their hardware very quickly. Where's my 8 gig, Almost. yo? Well, iOS is a lighter operating system by nature. I mean, it's really going to take a few years for it to really use the 4 gigs of RAM. Honestly, 2 gigs of RAM on the iPad Air 2 is great. Mm. 
I feel like the the pro is going to perhaps reach that that point more quickly. I mean, it already my movies already they're already touting the four K video. video stream yeah. editing. So uh, four, here's my question, right? Well, I mean, listener, we had a listener who rightfully asked, "What do I get? Do I get an iPad Mini Four, which is now essentially the iPad Air Two, or do I get a 6S Plus?" Right, and they've got so they've both got two gig of RAM. Well, you can talk on one, <laughs> and you, I mean, and you it, can sort of talk on the other through FaceTime. Kind of talk if you. Well, and that's one of the theories out there that the 6S Plus has cannibalized a lot of the iPad sales, which is why iPad sales have been declining. There's less of a demand for it. And I've heard that from people even before the 6 Plus launch who are on larger Android phones. They said they felt they didn't need a tablet because their phone was so big. Um, certainly there's a market for that. I am not that market. I want a bigger iPad and a smaller phone. But some people like that device that does everything. And so... I, I think that for people that buy a 6S Plus or a 6 Plus, the iPad Mini is less desirable for a lot of those people. I'm thinking I've decided I'm I'm a 6S Plus iPad Pro kind of guy. Yeah, I... I uh, uh, Go big. I, I don't see the iPad Mini as a great device for content creation. Um, the screen real estate is just a little too cramped for me. Um, I prefer the size of the iPad Air, um, and a little bigger screen will be even better. My main concern with the iPad Air is if I want to use it like an iPad, it's heavy. It's over a pound and a half. It's heavier than the very first iPad. Um, and I really like the light weight of the iPad Air 2. So my main concern with it is the weight, but I mean that's what you get when you have a 13-inch screen for a tablet. So yeah. you know, at some point, something's got to give. It's all compromised. Yeah. It's, it's funny how the, their uh, content consumption device became a – content creation or it they're was trying always, to craft it it was no a yes no. it was it was a content when movie on ipad is great they, when they launched the ipad running ios 3.2 they demoed procreate the drawing app yeah it was always yes. a creation it, device it was a no no yes i think their main their main selling point was definitely itunes movies and video it wasn't to create content. It was underpowered when they first launched it. It was too underpowered to be a content You listeners out there are going to have to forgive me. We're going to have to shut off the podcast so that Mikey and I can go fight about this because clearly he's wrong. This I will punch you through my wireless connection. Everyone heard he threatened violence. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it is. They, they did an admirable job. I still will, will not use my iPad to write on or, you know, to produce content for I drawing it's great. using my iphone yes uh i also do but i don't like spending an hour trying to uh wrangle a web publishing system on That's my just because iPhone. our publisher is crap but never mind that <laughs> you, you better edit this out or else jason's gonna cry <laughs> i'm i'm not editing it out the the web-based publisher is it it is and we're stuck with it and it's going to be great one day even when I, I use other apps like, um, uh, oh God, what is it, Daedalus to write in, which, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a markdown editor basically that can also transport, transfer out to HTML then mm-hmm. use that and just copy paste into the publishing system. But still, writing on an iOS device is, especially an iPhone, is not, it's far from optimal. And I would, <laughs> it's bad. 
it's just bad. You can do it, sure, but it takes you, I don't know, five, ten times the amount of time as you would with a Mac or keyboard. But it's getting better. It's getting better. It is getting better. It is I getting mean, better. and new... I would like. I'm very interested in the iPad Pro and its yes. keyboard the, so. the multitasking is going to be better on the iPad Pro. Um, split screen is going to be better with larger uh, f- screen and form factor. Okay, tell, um, y- tell me why that is, because presume I don't know. Yeah, so s- split screen multitasking on iPad Air 2 and iPad Pro allows you to take apps and divide the screen so that they take up half or 75% of the screen versus 25. So you can do two but, things at once at the same time. But So the, when you do it on an iPad Air 2... You're you're basically being shown the iPhone view, right? No. That's a big iPhone. No. No, no. The the split screen makes the the second one that you added. So if look you, like if you do split iPhone. screen, an app needs to be updated to take advantage of split screen, and it just uses the available screen real estate and the user interface adjusts accordingly. Uh, if you use, my understanding was that it adjusted to the iPhone size and showed you the iPhone app essentially. Well, no, because it takes you get the, the toolbar across the bottom, just like on the iPhone. You yeah, get the, it's 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 showing you it the depends iPhone on, view. It depends on the app, and but the view that the, the iPad app. Pro would show you the iPad view because it's basically nominally the same view as the Mini. Yeah, yes, I mean, <laughs> it depends on the app and how it's laid out and how it uses it. So not all apps are currently supporting multitasking. Uh, some of them. Uh, can't be used in multitasking mode yet. But those that can, like Apple's built-in apps, they will vary their interface based on what the app offers. So if you just use Safari with SlideOver, for example, uh, SlideOver is a different feature from the full split-screen multitasking. So the full split-screen multitasking allows you to interact with two apps at once. SlideOver just takes an app and very quickly allows you to swipe from the right, slide it over and access messages, type a quick message, slide it back, and then go back to what you're doing. That is available on older iPads. The split-screen multitasking is only available on the iPad Air 2, presumably the iPad Mini 4, I guess, because it has the newer processor and more RAM, and the iPad Pro. That's where you're actually doing two tasks at once, and you can resize them. So you can do 50-50, and you can do 75-25 split on two apps. Um, and how they're displayed really depends on how they're written to support that mode. Got it. But you know, my uh, uh, utopian future is... Um, an iPad where I can use it however I want in whatever situation. Um, if I just want to use it as a tablet, it's a great tablet. If I want it on the go with an ultra portable keyboard, like the smart keyboard connector that Apple makes, then that's an option. If I want a more traditional style keyboard with a dock and a laptop style, I can buy that accessory. If I want a desk, uh, docking station with a keyboard and, maybe in the future some sort of cursor input with like a trackpad or a mouse that would be awesome that's where i want to see the ipad go i want it to be the computer that i need in a specific situation how i want to use it then and i want it to have that range of versatility that you currently see with the ipad but i want to see that expanded to make it a truer mac replacement i don't think we're there yet not yet but we're close one day but, I mean, you see it now. Your iPad can be a drawing device. It can be a checkout terminal at a store. It can be a movie-watching device. Uh, it can be a reading device. It can be embedded in places. It can be mounted places. It can be put in cases and all kinds of cool things that can be done with an iPad that you could never do with a Mac. And that's what makes the iPad so cool. And I want all of that, but I also want the traditional computing capabilities. And once we get there, then I'll start to see something that maybe could replace my Mac, you know, a few years down the road. 
Exactly. And that's, that's I think, the timeline is probably a few years down the road for it all to come together. But in the meantime, you might be able to finally remove some of the native apps that you don't want sticking around. <laughs> and that's kind of a revelation because for years we've had apps that we could not do a thing about, right? So, so people have, and I'm sure you do, on one of your screens, second or third screen, you've probably got a folder of all of the things you just want to hide. Is that right? Uh, I hide the built-in mail app. I hide the um, stocks app. I hide, I'm trying to think what else I have here. Uh, I don't really use the videos app on my phone. I'll use it on my iPad. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hide a fair amount of them in folders. It's not really much of an issue for me, but. Right, but but you are that person that wants to have your first home screen completely empty. So clearly it's it's organization and <laughs> yes, presentation. Yes, my apps are very organized, yes. Is, is a thing for you. Um, and so this has been kind of a sticking point for a lot of people is it's my device. It's not Apple's device. It's not AT&T's device. It's not right. any of those guys. It's my device. I should be able to personalize it by taking away these things I want nothing to do with. Yeah, and Tim Cook was asked about it this week, and that was where it was revealed that they're going to plan on allowing you to do this in the future. But as he explained, and this is very true, it's difficult to just remove these apps because they play nice with each other and they're so integral to basic functions on the phone. For example, on an iPhone or an iPad, you can't change the default mail app. And so if you open photos and you want to send a photo in an email and you use share sheets and you select mail, it's going to default to Apple's mail app. If they remove the app, then that functionality breaks. So they need to make some changes to the core level of the OS to allow that. This is very similar to the controversy with Windows XP when Microsoft made uh, Internet Explorer such an integral part of the system that it was actually the file explorer was run by Internet Explorer. The browser actually was the file browser. So uh, it's a very similar situation where all these apps kind of plug into each other. And so making them removable is actually a complex thing to do. And yet, I I would venture to say that there are some you could do without. For example, I, I believe iBooks. you could get rid of, well, you could do iBooks, you could get rid of Newsstand, you could get rid of Reminders, you could take away uh, Weather. I'm going to do you a favor right now, Victor. You're on an iOS 9 device. Mm. Go into General and choose Restrictions, and then just turn off the uh, uh, News app with uh, Parental Restrictions. And turn off the Podcast app, too, if you want. Yeah. But why, you can why turn off I ever, iTunes Store as well. You can turn why, off the iBook Store. Why would I ever want anything to do with podcasts, Neil? I just I can't imagine. I, I'm going to turn that off right now. You can you can disable the camera if you don't use the camera. There's all it's hidden within the parental functions. There. That's yeah. actually how I disabled um, not only uh, in the music settings uh, Apple Music, but I also turned off the uh, Apple Music Connect feature, uh, and it no longer shows up in my music app. I just disable it through the parental controls. Hmm. Cool. Now, you talked about this a little bit earlier on where, where we were talking about uh, Travis Kalanick on Colbert's show. Mm-hmm. Tim Cook was on Colbert's show. What was interesting about Tim Cook's appearance on Colbert's show? Um, that he was on the show at all. Okay, that he was on the show at all. I, one of the things that really resonated with me was that this this show didn't seem like the interview didn't seem like it was just a fluff piece. It, it seemed like there was some actually some interesting uh, questions asked and some some interesting and compelling answers from Cook. It's been kind of the the way that Colbert has started the show. I mean, he said some really good interviews. 
um, with people and ask them interesting questions and hasn't let them weasel their way out of giving softball answers. You know, it started the first night um, with Jeb Bush. Um, and then he had a really emotional, uh, powerful interview with uh, the vice president, Joe Biden, about his son dying and uh, talking about his faith and other issues that uh, a lot of late night shows kind of avoid uh, discussing just to kind of keep it light and fluffy. So it's a very uh, human um, show that that Colbert has, for lack of a better term. And it, that came across in this interview where he talked about things like uh, Tim Cook's decision to come out as gay publicly and to uh, why he as a private person decided that was a good thing to do. And uh, Colbert dealt with it in a classy way and a respectful way, but he wasn't afraid to touch those subjects that I think a lesser host would not want to touch on. Yeah, you know, and I, I think things that I enjoyed from the interview were his talking about his his memory of his friend Steve Jobs, not just the uh, the the impression that the movies give, but the idea that that for him as a person who knew Steve, that Steve was an amazing human being and someone that you wanted to do your best work for, and someone who could see around the corner not to just an evolutionary future, but to a revolutionary future was the quote. Well, the thing that surprised me the most was how how strongly it seemed that he felt about the portrayal of Jobs uh, after, since his death and how he feels like authors and documentarians, movie makers are kind of uh, being opportunistic and you know taking advantage of this situation. Um, he didn't really get into it too much, but it seemed like he was very, uh, very emotionally invested in uh, telling you know his side of the job story, and that the others who have, or many of the others who have come forth with their own takes, are in some ways incorrect. Well, it's personal, you know. I mean, I I wouldn't let anyone speak badly about you, Mikey. So I I understand, I think, a little bit where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And that, that, yeah, that he would do it on a. I think I, I don't know. I, is this the first time that he? I think it's the first time that he actually acknowledged. Um, I mean, we've had Eddie Q, right? Or yes. was it Schiller? Eddie Q, right? Uh, came out um, about the Man in the Machine documentary, um, saying that it was mean spirited. Uh, we haven't really heard much from Cook, who was arguably one of the executives who was closest with Jobs, aside from Ive. Yeah, I just, I've said it before when we've talked about movies. I, I want to see the movie that the people who worked with him say this represents the real person that I knew. And when we have that, that's when I'll go. I don't know if they're ever going to make that movie because, I mean, you know, he was, he was different people. I mean, he was a different persona. He, to so many different people. I mean, what, what was sees as a true portrayal of jobs might not necessarily be the same, um, in, in agreement with what Tim Cook thinks of as the true jobs i mean there's the histories are so different and he's such a polarizing character that uh, i don't know people have such uh, contrasting opinions about who he was as a person i don't know if you can contain that in one narrative i think you're right i, I think people contain multitudes and it's difficult to convey that especially across such different time periods from the wozniak period to 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 the modern era jobs, if you will. 
Mm-hmm. It's still, I, I recommend people go and look for this video. Go ahead and view it because it was uh, it was definitely an interesting short segment, but enjoyable. So this has been the Apple Insider Podcast, recording on September 17th, 2015. With us, Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Apple Insider and on Twitter at MikeyCampbell81. Brilliant. And, and Neil, where can people find you? Uh, you can read me on Apple Insider, obviously, and I am on Twitter at this is Neil. And I'm Victor, and we will resume next week with another episode, provided that Mikey has not bought up every single iPhone success known to man, and <laughs> the audio bus works for Neil's iPad. This podcast was brought to you by Wix.com, used by 60 million people throughout the world. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites. With the drag-and-drop builder and hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from, you can get your website live today. It's easy and free. Go to wix.com and create your stunning website today.